much, and it's your name that I pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Morning, Forest Park. It's great to see you. If you had watched me as a child or young adult, you would have noticed a quietness about me. Don't get me wrong, I could be louder than the rowdiest if I wanted to be, but overall, I wasn't. I sat toward the back, I stayed on the sidelines, not because I couldn't participate, I didn't want to. I preferred watching, paying attention, taking notes learning from those around me. It's a good quality, kept me out of a lot of trouble, but it also had a downside. I became aware early in life of what I didn't have. My parents worked hard, my mom worked hard from the time I can remember until just a couple of years ago when she retired. My stepfather is one of the hardest working men I know. But because of their skill levels and several other factors, they didn't make a lot of money. So we had enough, but we never had more than enough. And being the perceptive child, watching from the sidelines, paying attention to the people around me, uh, it became clear quite early on we didn't have nearly as much as the other families in our church or my best friend or the girl I was dating. We often only had one car we shared uh, between my parents, uh, other families in our church, other families I knew had, you know, two cars or three cars. We stayed around the house for summer and worked. Other families went on vacations. I had a budget when we went out to a restaurant. My friends ordered whatever they wanted. I had to save and put on layaway what I wanted. Anybody remember layaway? Anybody? Okay, good. All right. Makes me feel better. I'm in a room of friends. Um, a lot of my friends didn't do that, though. You know, they could just buy what they wanted, whatever was in style or cool or fun at the time. I didn't know it then, but we were considered poor. It began to bother me around middle school especially, and it stayed with me throughout my high school and into college years where the division became crystal clear. I'll never forget meeting Lana my second year of college. Lana was more affluent than me. She wore nice clothes, had spending money, and a car all at the same time. And I, I bummed rides, you know, from my friends and had a job in the evening to make sure I had enough money to wash clothes. Interestingly, though, Lana had no idea. I carried myself in a way that hid that reality. I waited until we were married and, surprise, <laughs> we're broke, you know. Um, why did I keep her in the dark? Why 
was, you know, I, I didn't want to tell people about the money issues in my life. Why did I carry myself in such a way that I gave her the impression and I gave a lot of other people the impression that I came from an affluent family? Well, looking back at it, I certainly didn't know it at that time, but looking back from where I am today and the knowledge I have today and the age and the maturity and all the different things, looking back on my childhood, now I realize two things. One, I was embarrassed. Number two, I had the rumblings of jealousy inside. Like a lot of you, I I wanted more than I had. I, I wasn't unhappy with my life. I mean, I rarely complained, but neither was I content. And the older I got, the more the distance between the possessions of others and mine became. And you know how I, I, I know I was jealous? Again, I, I didn't know what to call it then. I had no idea I was a jealous young man. I had no idea, you know, I was a, a jealous kid or a jealous high school student or a jealous college student. I didn't know that. Now I know. You know how I know? Real simple. I was angry. I, I carried an anger with me all the time. I mean, when I saw people get what I wanted, I couldn't celebrate. When someone achieved what I wanted to achieve, I secretly wished they wouldn't have achieved it. I detested hearing about the successes of other people, especially the people I knew, because I struggled with money. I struggled with possessions, and I watched other people collect the things and buy the things they wanted and go where they wanted, and I just, inside of me, I just, I had this anger humming in the background of my life. You see, rarely do we name jealousy for what it is. I mean, we, we come up with all kinds of different names for it. We, we call, you know, we call it uh, drive and goals and passion and desire for justice and I only want what's fair and I, I only want what's due me. We call, we call our anger everything except for what it is, jealousy. Now, I don't mean that if you have goals, you're jealous. I don't mean to imply that if you have passion, you're jealous. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that we mask jealousy with things that sound really good to kind of cover it up and, you know, hopefully get by. And jealousy is shrewd. It, it seeps into the lowest regions of our hearts and oozes into the basement of our souls. And there it sits, undetected souring, gradually decaying and rotting our character. Listen carefully. This this comes from someone who knows. We cannot be jealous and happy. We cannot be jealous and content. We cannot be jealous and healthy. Jealousy eats life away, sucking the joy and thanksgiving from everything, leaving nothing in its wake but emptiness, sadness, dissatisfaction. And here's the thing. We are more jealous. I'm talking about our society, our nation. We are more jealous than we realize. Now, let me kind of help you to see how all this connects together. Do you know, do you know from what source jealousy emerges? In other words, I'll put it this way. Do you know what jealousy looks like in its infancy stage? After it's conceived and it kind of grows into a baby form. It's just beginning to really take shape. You You know what it looks like or what it is? Here it is. Insecurity. I should ask the question, then answer the question. Insecurity. That's what it is. 
It starts out with this, as it grows, it starts to move toward jealousy. It starts out in an insecure um, uh, form. And do you know, I was reading this past week, quite interesting. You know the top forms of insecurity? One, failure. We failed in the past, and we feel insecure about our future. Because we failed, we feel insecure. We probably won't succeed. So we struggle with insecurity. That's one form. Another form is social anxiety. We don't want people to see our flaws and reject us because of them. And the third one is perfectionism. We want to be perfect, but we know we are far from perfect. So we struggle with a sense of failure. I'll probably fail again. We struggle from social anxiety. I don't want people to see my imperfections. And we struggle with perfectionism. I want to be perfect, but I am far from it. And so you swirl all that stuff together, and guess where people feel most like failures, experience social anxiety, and the realization they are far from perfect. Where do all three of those come together creating a perfect storm? Social media. You realize in our pockets, we carry a window into the lives of other people. And watching other people achieve what we wish we could achieve creates neither celebration nor thanksgiving, but rather insecurity leading us down the road toward jealousy. Think about this. Years ago, we compared ourselves, those of us in the room who are a little older than some of the other ones in the room, okay, You're a little bit more my age. You'll remember this. The younger folks in the room, they don't remember a time when you didn't have social media, okay? But we remember when we didn't have social media. And at that time, we compared ourselves to our immediate social surroundings. In other words, our neighbors. And most of our neighbors live the way we live because human nature just kind of gathers together in kind of little pockets around the nation. And you buy a house in a neighborhood you can afford. Well, guess what? Everybody else can afford that same kind of house. So you live together and you happen to drive the same kind of cars and you wear pretty much the same kind of clothes. And there's always somebody in the neighborhood's a little bit more, you know, wealthy and somebody in the neighborhood's a little bit less. But you're kind of all in that same bracket. So you compare yourselves to the people right around you. Well, social media changed everything. It picked us up and it threw us into a massive neighborhood. Now our neighborhood is the world and there are endless people to which we compare ourselves. We're now looking at people from all over the world and we're going, why don't I have that and why don't I wear that and why don't I drive that and how come I'm not eating there and why am I not doing that? How come I'm not on that kind of trip and why am I not doing this and why don't I look like her and why don't I look like him and all that kind of stuff. And here's the deal, the temptation soars to create and share images of who we want to be rather than the images of who we actually are because we're trying to keep up with the world. Not keep up with the family down the street, keep up with the family across the nation. And it reflects images reflecting our fantasies rather than our realities. Do you know the average 16 to 25-year-old girl, I'm not picking on our beautiful girls, I'm just, this is an interesting statistic I read. The average 16 to 25-year-old girl in the United States takes three selfies per day. Now, I say, well, that's not a big deal. It's just three pictures. No, 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 no. The average girl spends 16 minutes on each selfie session for a total of 48 minutes per day taking pictures of herself. 
five and a half hours per week, almost an entire day of work per week is spent taking pictures of herself. And here's the deal. She takes seven pictures before she finds one she'll post. Why do you think that is? Trying to keep up with everybody else in her neighborhood, which is the whole world. Interestingly, they interviewed 2,000 girls between the ages of 16 and 25. 14% of them admitted that they post the selfie for the sole reason of making someone jealous. Interesting. Social media overflows with the latest and greatest, packed with airbrushed photos and up-to-the-minute posts of everything going on in the lives of people far more interesting than us. And we're trying to keep up. And as a result, it has created a world where we peer into the lives of people who only show us the airbrushed versions of themselves. Remember the post you see of that girl that you think, why don't I look like her? She took at least a minimum of seven pictures to get that one. She spent a minimum of one hour that day getting that photo and probably ran it through one or two photo editing software to put the picture on Facebook to make you jealous, 14% of them, that's the sole reason. You look at it and you feel bad about yourself. That's the world in which we live. We fall for it. And our society right now is restless and dissatisfied and envious and jealous And we want what other people have, and we are discontented with what we have. And here's the thing. Jealousy. If left unchecked, if we allow that that part of us, that auto-response inside of us to see something that someone else has that we don't, and the auto-response is to feel jealous over that. If we allow that to sit inside of us unchecked, never allowing the gospel to really get inside of us and change that part of who we are, if we let that sit there, it will turn us into someone we don't recognize and lead us down roads to do things that we cannot imagine. And we will open doors we can't close, and we will miss opportunities we will never get back. Let me show you what I mean. I don't know how much you know about Israel's first king, King Saul, Those of you who grew up in church, maybe you remember reading and studying Saul and David and all the Goliath and all that that era of time. Some of you may not know that much about him. I'll give you a little bit of history so you'll know who we're talking about. But if you take time to read through the life of King Saul, found especially in 1 Samuel, what we're going to be talking about here in a moment, you will see, you will experience a crash course in how jealousy poisons a person entirely. And it didn't have to be this way in Saul's life, but it was. All right? Let me tell you a little bit about Saul. God chose Saul to be Israel's first king. And when God chose Saul, he was strong, he was capable, and at the very beginning, he was humble, and he was honored to serve. He was a good man, overall good man. But over time, King Saul began to think his desires His dreams, his goals were more important than God's. And eventually, Saul's commitment to honor God and fulfill God's mission for Israel weakened. And his agenda, his goals, his dreams, his desires took over. Let me give you an example. One time, Saul was instructed by the prophet Samuel to wait seven 
days before he sacrificed, made a sacrifice. Now, if you don't know the history and why the sacrifices were made and who Samuel is and all that kind of stuff, we're not going to get into all that today. If you get a chance to read his entire story, do so. But the prophet Samuel told him to wait seven days. Saul didn't want to wait seven days. Because of his own pride and because of his own selfishness, he said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and sacrifice myself. I'm not going to worry about waiting seven days. And the prophet Samuel pronounced God's disapproval on Saul. And here's where we kind of get a window into Saul's character is beginning to change. He used to want to do what God told him. Now he doesn't really care that much. First Samuel 15 verse 17 says, though this is God speaking about Samuel, excuse me, about Saul. Samuel is speaking through Samuel about Saul. And this is what God said. Though you were little in your own eyes, talking about Saul, you were made the head of Israel. In other words, you were humble. You saw yourself as small compared to God. You saw yourself small compared to the will of God. So I made you head over all of Israel. I gave you the position of being king, the first king of Israel. What a privileged position that was. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. In other words, because you have allowed your heart to go away from the will of God and the plan of God, I have now removed you from that position. Just keep that in mind, okay? And what did God do? In 1 Samuel 16, 13, we're told that God anoints David to be the replacement for Saul. When that happens, Saul is inflamed with jealousy. He is eaten up with it. He starts out king of Israel. His heart becomes hardened toward the things of God. God takes the mantle of authority off of Saul, places it, if you will, onto David, and Saul's heart becomes jealous. For instance, whenever David kills Goliath, many of you know the story of David and Goliath, the giant, and David stands up to Goliath and kills him. At the beginning, Saul seems like, okay, that, that's a good, good thing. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's wonderful. Until the people of Israel begin to praise David. And when they start praising David, his heart is inflamed with jealousy even more. In fact, listen, this is what it says in 1 Samuel 18, 7 and 8. The Jewish women sang, when David came back from killing Goliath, the Jewish women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul, this is like a song that they sang. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens thousands. So they're saying, Saul, you were great, but David's greater. You killed thousands of the enemies. David's killed tens of thousands of the enemy. Now watch this. And Saul's jealousy turned into anger. Remember I told you a moment ago, how, how did I know that I was a jealous young man? Looking back at it now, I was an angry young man. We'll get to that in just a moment. But notice here, Saul's jealousy turned into anger. And he said, they have ascribed to David tens, ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have? But the kingdom, jealousy is just brewing inside of Saul. Because of Saul's jealousy, he felt threatened. He believed David wanted to take Saul's kingdom from him. And in 1 Samuel 18, 9, it says, And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. 1 Samuel 18, 14, and 15, it says, David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. What does jealousy do? It leads to anger. It leads to fear. But all of Israel and Judah loved David. 
As Saul's jealousy increased, so did his selfishness. Saul, even, if you go and read the whole story, you'll find that Saul actually turned even to the witch of Endor to try to find out what he needed to do. He sought counsel from a witch. Now, just think about how far down this jealousy has led Saul. He starts out as king of Israel, anointed by God. He turns into jealousy over David, so much so God takes you know, the, the, the anointing, the mantle, if you will, off of Saul and puts it onto David. He's inflamed with jealousy. He becomes angry. He becomes fearful, and he turns to witchcraft, and it gets worse. Saul continued to fall deeper and deeper into the pit of jealousy and selfishness. His jealousy grew so much and so ugly, Saul lied to his own son, Jonathan, promising that he would never kill David. But one day, as David was playing the liar like a harp, Saul threw a spear at David and tried to pin him against the wall, tried to kill him in front of people. And David narrowly escapes, and at that point, David and Saul become enemies for the rest of their life. And then the Song of Solomon says that jealousy is as cruel as the grave. Jealousy just gets worse and worse and worse. It, 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 is, it is worse than the grave itself. And in 1 Samuel 31.4, we are told jealousy consumes Saul so much he commits suicide. That's how far down jealousy took Saul. Took him from the throne, being Israel's first king, into anger and fear and uh, a witchcraft and attempted murder and then suicide. Jealousy, if left unchecked, will take you places you never imagined you would go. You will do things you never imagined you would do. You will say things that you never imagined you would you, it'll, it'll close doors that should be open for you. It'll open doors that you never want to walk through. You'll miss opportunities. Ultimately, it will destroy your life. So, here's what I know about the nature of jealousy. We know this from observation, from personal experience, and from what is revealed in Scripture, just like we talked about through this story. Three things I want to give you. They're simple but powerful. First of all, jealousy leads to anger. Proverbs 6.34, jealousy makes a man rage. He'll show no mercy on his day of revenge. Did you notice how angry Saul became toward David? He eventually wanted to kill him. In front of people, he took a spear and tried to literally throw it at David to pin him against the wall with a spear. Anger. This is my observation. I've seen this throughout my life. I've even felt it myself. Angry people are often jealous people. When you meet someone who just seems angry all the time, most often those folks are jealous at something. They feel as if they've been wronged. They feel as something's been taken from them. They feel as if somebody else has got what they deserve, and they're just angry at the world. They just want to scream to the universe, why am I the way I am, and how come other people are blessed and not me? They always believe that somebody's getting something that they should have had. Here's how you see an angry, jealous person on display. Jealous people nitpick people apart. They can do something good, and they'll find something wrong with what they do. Point out the wrong. Why? Because they want to smear what they see as a good thing. They're jealous of it, and they're angry because that person has what they want, and they are quick to nitpick that person to death. Jealous people are quick to gossip, 
and spread negativity. Why? Because they want to bring the person they're jealous over. They want to bring them down. They want other people to know they're not so perfect. Hey, did you see so-and-so? They got a promotion. Oh, I wonder who they cheated. Oh, you know what I heard about them? Well, no wonder he got that car. Look what he did to get it. Oh, she thinks she's so beautiful. And it's nitpick, gossip, spread negativity. Whatever we can do to damage that person's image, whatever we can do to bring that person down, if the person they're jealous of wins or gets a promotion or is honored or whatever, the jealous person cannot celebrate that because the anger will not allow them to celebrate it. So be very careful. If you allow jealousy to continue in your heart, you'll become a gossipy, negative, nitpicking person, always trying to find flaws in the people you're jealous of. Number two, jealousy consumes from the inside. Proverbs 14.30, a peaceful mind gives life to the body, but jealousy rots the bones. It's inside. And it just sits there and it rots you from the inside out. One of the challenges with jealous people is nothing on the outside can fix the jealousy. Change the outside, the person's still jealous. Because jealousy is an inside issue, not an outside issue. You're jealous because someone got a promotion or a new car or a raise or whatever, and you think, if I had those things, I would no longer be jealous, I'd be happy. No, 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 that's not how jealousy works. Jealousy is like a disease of the bone. It's inside you. Jealousy oozes from an infected character. That's inside. It doesn't sit on the outside. And a jealous person can wear a fake smile, laugh, hair, nails, face, look happy, act peaceful, but jealousy will bleed through because jealousy is in the bones. It reappears. For a jealous person, a raise will not fix it. For a jealous person, a new car will not fix it. Compliments will not fix it. Followers on social media will not fix it because jealousy is a character issue. It's on the inside. Three, jealousy eventually becomes unstoppable. Wrath is cruel and anger is a flood, but who can withstand jealousy? In other words, the writer of Proverbs um, is trying to tell us that jealousy is so strong, it's stronger than anger It's stronger than wrath. It's stronger than all those things. Nobody can withstand jealousy. It builds up such a wall of pressure that you literally cannot survive it. Jealousy is worse than all these other things, wrath and anger and all those things. Saul didn't want David to simply leave his house. Like, you know, I don't like you, David, get out of my house. He wanted to kill him. He didn't want him to just not become king. He wanted to destroy him. And I have learned it is almost impossible to escape the effects of a jealous person. If someone is jealous of you, they will not stop until you are crushed. I don't know if you've ever had someone jealous of you. But if they're jealous of you, they will do anything. They will magnify your flaws, minimize your good qualities, maximize your your negative qualities. You can do 25 things wonderfully. And they'll ignore it. Do one thing that you mess up. And they'll put a magnifying glass on that and share it with as many people as they possibly can. They want you destroyed. They want you crushed. That's what jealousy does. That's why scripture tells us it's cooler than the grave. The grave buries you and it's over. 
Jealousy is worse than that. Jealousy wants to bury you, dig you up, and bury you again. Dig you up and bury you again. Dig you up and and carry your, your body all over the place and show everybody and then bury you again. That's jealousy. Jealousy never stops. It rots the bones. Now, we've looked at jealousy. We've discussed because you're somebody going, can, can I have some good news? No, we're just going to dismiss and send everybody home depressed, okay? <laughs> no, I want to give you some good news. I want to give you some ways that we can kind of battle this, if you will, through truth. It's widespread in our culture. We talked about it. We've seen the examples of Saul and David. We looked at jealousy in Proverbs and kind of the nature of jealousy. So here, here's how I want to taper this message down. We know jealousy in its infancy stage, in other words, after it's conceived and becomes kind of a, a baby, it's, it, it looks like insecurity. That's how it starts. You start to feel insecure, and then you start looking around in the wrong place to satisfy and to make yourself feel secure, and you'll think material things and body image and all those things will make you into this person, which is not true. But here's the question I have. If it's in the infancy stage as insecurity, where is it conceived? Like, where does it begin? Now, this in and of itself could be an entire series, and I'm not going to get into a lot of this. I just want to drop this kind of in you and let you think about it and pray about it and work your way through it. Here's what I've observed. It is conceived in the mind. There is a lie that is embedded in your mind, and when it matures, it brings destruction. Now, when I say this, when I put this on the screen for you, you're going to go, well, that doesn't seem to be that bad or that negative or that destructive, I'm telling you, if you allow this lie to fester, it will bring all kinds of pain. And here's the big jealous lie, if you will. I deserve more. That is a lie that gets implanted inside of us, and if we don't deal with it, we become a jealous people. This is where it begins. With a lie that says, I deserve more than I have, and I can't enjoy life, I can't be content, I can't be at peace until I have X, Y, or Z. And it is from this lie, hell is loosed. Don't you find it interesting, at least interesting, that we live in a free, I know that's debatable, and prosperous nation. We live in a nation that many, many, many people around our world would love to be a citizen of. This nation has celebrated so much freedom and so much prosperity and so much advances and all the things. We have food that sometimes we just scrape off our plates and throw away because we can't eat it all. We have houses that are built just for our cars. We have closets that are overflowing with clothes. We have a church that we can sit in today for, for free, and it's, it's cool, or it's warm, and it's comfortable, and no one is standing outside our doors and threatening our life because we come. No doubt, we've eaten well, and we have all the different education and access to all these things. And isn't it interesting, in the middle of all of that, we want more. I want more. And then the problem is, it's not that we just want more. We believe somehow we deserve more. We deserve more. You know, that is the lie from the very beginning. 
Let's go back to the story of Adam and Eve. God's holding out on you, isn't he? Well, we've got access to all the trees of the garden. Yeah, but there's that one tree you don't have. You're right. We don't have that one tree. And you deserve more. You're right. We do deserve more. God, why are you holding out on us? We deserve more. It's the very beginning. And what happens is it implants in your mind this idea that somehow the universe, somehow God himself is holding out on you. James 4, 1, 2. It's not clicking for me. Boom. Give me the next slide. There we go. James 4, 1, 2. What is the source of conflict among you? What is the source of your disputes? Don't they come from your cravings that are at war in your own lives? You long for something you don't have. So you commit murder. You are jealous for something you can't get. So you struggle and fight. The origin of jealousy begins right here. I believe there is something and this person and this thing is keeping me from it. And I am not going to be content. I'm not going to be at peace. I'm not going to enjoy my life until I get what is keeping it, whatever that thing is that's being kept from me. And it begins small. It's not fair. Why does he get it and I don't? Then it moves to, I deserve it. I'm entitled to it. And then suddenly, I am going to get it. And if I can't get it, I'm going to stop him or stop her from getting it. Full-blown jealousy, anger. Fear that somebody's going to take something that you should have. And as I mentioned a moment ago, if we're honest, with, and jealous people rarely are honest, but if we're honest, we would have to admit that ultimately, at the base level, at the bottom of this whole lie, is the belief that God is keeping it from us. That's what Saul believed, and that's what a lot of us believe. You see, when you're a jealous person, nothing is good. Nothing is celebrated. Nothing is, ta- everything is tainted. Everything is corrupted. You are looking at life through the lens of jealousy and it taints everything. That's why James 3, 16 says, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and everything that is evil. Where there is what? Jealousy and selfish ambition. You'll find every imaginable sin. It's all there. When you are jealous, you are capable of unimaginable evil and gossip and slander and lying and stealing and adultery and vengeance and murder. All kinds of evil flows from the putrid, jealous heart, the green-eyed monster of jealousy. So, Scott, how do we strengthen our hearts against jealousy? There's two habits. And I say these are habits because I promise you these are not just steps you take These are not just things you do once and then you won't have to struggle with jealousy again. These are going to have to be habits you develop in your life. And you have to do them again and again and again until they become second nature. And as they become second nature to you, you will see a drop in the jealousy because you're hitting it at the beginning and you don't allow it to continue to foster. Okay? Two habits that I want you to learn. Number one, confess. We have to admit in the core of our being that we believe God owes us more than we have. And when we're honest, we tend to think that life ought to be fair. 
And since we work hard and do our best and we're more honest than the average person, we're more generous than the average person, we should be blessed and we should be prosperous and we should be healthy. And if we're not, it takes a turn for the worst or if we lose or if we fail or if bad things happen, something is wrong. And God, you're keeping it from me. And underneath our smile, underneath our handshake, underneath our hug is a deep disappointment with God. You owe me something. God, I deserve this and you didn't allow me to have it. It's your fault. <laughs> Folks, it's hard to come into a place like this and sing and worship if you're mad at the one you're supposed to be singing and worshiping. It's very difficult to open scripture and read if you're frustrated at the one you believe wrote this for you or gave this to you for truth. If you believe he's holding out on you, he's blessing other people but not you, it's very hard have joy when you believe the entire universe is against you. We'll never move away from jealousy until we rid ourselves of that false belief and confess it. So what does that look like practically? Every single time something comes that kind of shows you, hey, you know, maybe you don't have what this person has or you don't have what they have or whatever. As soon as it happens, immediately confess, God, I have more than I need. You have given me so much. I have so much. I have so much. I have more clothes than I can wear. I have more food than I can eat. In fact, I probably need to eat less so I can lose some of this fat. God, I live in a country that I'm free to go. I access to information, access to the Internet, access to, you know, uh, uh, opportunities. God, I have transportation. I have just immediately start confessing. Look at all the things I have. God, you're not holding out on me. I don't know the story of this person. I don't know the story of that person. Hey, you know what? Maybe they have skills I don't have. They probably do. Maybe they have opportunities that I have not availed myself of. Maybe they have education that's allowed them to go here or there. I have opportunities to get many things in life. God, it is not your fault. And I just want to thank you that I have so much. Immediately start that. Don't let it fester. And if you think that one's a little challenging, this next one's really hard. You celebrate. Celebrate. You see, when the, when the green-eyed monster of jealousy creeps up and sits beside you, the best way to rid yourself of him is to celebrate those who cause the jealousy to arise within you. Don't let it foster. Don't let it. So, if she's an amazing singer and you're not, tell her. Don't say, you're not. Just go up and say, wow, you sing great. Even though in your heart you're like, why don't I sing like that? Nip it right at the beginning. Celebrate good things in other people's lives. Don't allow it to fester and infect you. If, if, if so-and-so got a promotion, congratulate them. If they got the big house on the corner, send them a housewarming gift. If she lost weight, tell her you've noticed and she looks good. Pray for them. Honor them. Speak highly of them. If you happen to be in a group setting and there's someone jealous, their name comes up, and in that moment, you could just, I mean, you've got the goods. You could let them, you could let the group know some dirty things about this person. You could bring this person down right now. Don't do it. Immediately confess, God, I'm feeling jealous. You've given me so much. And then say something kind about that person. Celebrate the people. 
And folks, let's, let's be honest, okay? Isn't it time? Isn't it time that we take a different approach? Look at our nation. Look at how we treat one another. Look at the political arguments and fighting. Look at Facebook. Look at social media. Look at the arguing. Look at the way we interact. Look at the, just all the mess. Is that way we want to keep walking down that road? This is just me. You may listen to this message and go, that guy's full of it. Okay, that's fine. This is my observation. I have never met a happy, jealous person. Never. I have never met a peace-filled, jealous person. I have never met a spiritually mature, jealous person. But I'll tell you this. I have met a lot of miserable, jealous people. I have met a lot of hateful, jealous people. I have met a lot of gossipy, jealous people. So the question is, who do you want to be? Which road do you want to walk down? You want to keep walking down that road of jealousy and allow it to eat you from the inside out? Or confess and celebrate, confess and celebrate, confess and celebrate. Protect your heart, protect your mind, protect your future. Let's pray. Father, throughout this series, we've talked about several things that we often interact with and come up against, and our auto response is not very good. And today, it's, just, it's, it's jealousy, anger. We see people who we think have more than we do, or they might have more than we do. And rather than confessing it and celebrating the fact, we, we're, we're jealous, we're envious. And we want to tear them down, or we want to allow it to just remove any kind of joy we have in our life. God, that's not the auto-response we want. Father, we want an auto-response that confesses and that celebrates. We want to walk down a road of, of truly being people that are thankful for what we have, because, God, we can't love people if we're jealous of them. We can't serve them if we're jealous of them. Help us become people who truly are thankful for what we have and celebrate those who are blessed and celebrate people who have more because there's people looking at us and they're thinking, wow, I wish I had what they had. God, help us take these glasses off that we look through, these lenses of jealousy, and may we see people the way you see them and look through your word, your truth, and see the world clearly. Help us learn to confess and celebrate and move away, move away from the infection of jealousy. That's what you've called us to do today. And we humbly confess and boldly celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, next.